Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Happy Halloween and welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack, and today's episode is our monthly Ask Austin Anything. So before we get to that, it is Halloween, and I hope that you have some awesome plans today, whether that's taking your kids out trick-or-treating, whether that's just like melting into the couch with a drink or some good dinner or whatever it is and watching a scary movie or however you're planning to spend the evening. I'm sending all the good vibes your way. On our side, we're taking Nolan out for his first real quote-unquote Halloween. Last year, he was only a couple of months old, so he couldn't do much. And this year, he and I are dressing up as astronauts, and my wife, Lily, is going to be the son. Uh, and we're going to take Nolan out, and he's going to see all the kids. I don't know how much actual trick-or-treating we'll do, uh, but then we'll come back to our house. Our neighborhood is jam-packed with kids, so we're going to hang out on the porch and see all the costumes that come by. So I am really, really excited, and I hope you have some awesome plans for this evening. I also hope that this episode helps the day go a little bit faster and get you to those plans safely and smoothly. So without further ado, let's jump on into our first question here, which comes from John. John's asking, you said most people spend 90% of their time applying for jobs online and 10% networking, and that should be reversed. Can you explain how to go about reversing that? Let's say you see a couple of job posts that you're interested in, but you have no or very few ends at the company, no direct connections working there, et cetera. Do you apply and then try to reach out to recruiters or hiring managers, or how do you go about networking in this scenario? So just to take a step back and provide some context, what John is referring to here is the allocation of time that I recommend for job seekers. So most job seekers out there, from my experience, basically spend 90% of their time applying for jobs online. And then they use this very, very small slice of the remaining time to kind of experiment with other stuff. Maybe that's networking, maybe that's recruiters, whatever else it is. And none of those things typically work out because they don't invest enough time uh, and they don't invest enough effort and energy into those areas in order for them to come to fruition. So they're stuck in this cycle of not getting results with the online application process, but funneling right back into that. So I actually recommend that you flip those things. I think you should spend around 10% of your time applying for jobs online, and then 90% of your time networking and trying to find other ways to illustrate your value. So why is that the case? Well, the reason we spend time applying for jobs online is because we want to leave no stone unturned. I don't want to put my head on the pillow at night thinking maybe I would have gotten that job or maybe they would have called me back if I had applied online. But the data tells us that we have a really, really small chance of getting in the door for an interview when we are applying online. So I want to proportionally allocate my time to make sure that it aligns with those chances. So basically what I'm doing here is finding a way to check that box and still do it well. Don't get me wrong. We want to have a strong resume. We want to do that well. I'll talk about that in a second. But we want to do that while still leaving a bunch of time to invest in other channels that give us a better chance of getting in the door. So that's going to be networking. And essentially, the goal here is to have a system for optimizing and personalizing your resume quickly so that you can get those applications at specific places in, and then you can go spend the rest of the time on networking. So how do we do that? Well, essentially, what my recommendation here is you should start by having a master resume, if you will. This should be a resume that has pretty much all of your experience on it in in different capacities. And then what you're going to do is when you see a role that you're excited to apply for, you're going to personalize it. So I would take that resume. I would take the job description. I would head over to resimatch.io, which is our resume scanner. I would scan your resume. I would see what your score is like. I would see exactly what you have to update. And I would make those updates. 
Then I would also update the highlight reel on my resume. If you're not familiar with what that is, um, you can go ahead and just go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash resume dash summary. And you'll see a whole breakdown of what that highlight reel is at the very top of your resume. But that's typically the most customized and personalized part of a resume when I'm applying to different jobs. So I should be able to do all that in like 10, 15 minutes. It shouldn't take me a crazy amount of time because I already have a really well-written master resume that I'm working off of. Then I'm going to go apply for that job. And now I'm going to go through my traditional process of, okay, and this is one of my target companies. Let me go find 10 to 15 people who can influence my ability to get hired. Let me create engagement plans with them. So let me research them. Let me understand who they are, what they care about. Let me try to find some angles that I can use to get in the door with them, to add value to them. And then let me start testing the waters. And hopefully, you know, I can generate a couple of relationships with, you know, one, two, three of those people and then convert one of them into a referral. So that's typically my system here. And to recap, it's essentially when I see that role that I'm really excited about, I'm absolutely going to apply as early as I possibly can just to get that in the door in case that works. And then I'm going to spend the rest of my time focusing in on building relationships, finding creative ways to add value and getting in the door that way. In my experience, that tends to maximize your surface area of success because you're basically getting your foot into any possible channel that you have while allocating your time proportionally to the channels that give you the best shot at getting in the door and eventually winning that job offer. Our second question comes from Marlena, who's asking, how do you think the idea of credibility has changed in the age of content creation and personal branding on social media? So I absolutely love this question because so many job seekers out there are looking to make some sort of change. And that's not a surprise because there are so many new roles being created every single day, right? So influencer marketing is a great example of this. Five years ago, 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't be able, 10 years ago, 100%, you wouldn't be able to get this role. Five years ago, you probably wouldn't be able to get an influencer marketing role either. But now that is a staple of marketing agencies, of in-house marketing strategies with the rise of platforms like Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. All of these influencers have been created and they're actually a really, really effective form of marketing that companies are taking advantage of. So that's just one example of a role that exists now that didn't exist years ago. And we're only seeing more and more and more of that happen as technology progresses and as the internet expands and as we see more people come online. So it's no surprise that people want to make a change, but what they run into is this issue of credibility. They think that, okay, I'm, I'm changing fields and I don't have this traditional experience. So how is somebody going to buy into what I bring to the table? Or I know I can do this job, but nobody will buy into it. I'm, I'm seeing that people are telling me I don't have enough experience. And then they start asking themselves questions like, well, do I go back to school and get an advanced degree? Or is this hopeless? Do I just have to stick it out, gut it out in the career that I chose for myself? And all of those things are really, really frustrating. That's the most beautiful part of the internet and personal branding, in my opinion, is that you get to own your value and your message. You get to present it on your own terms and in your own words. And if there is true value in what you're sharing, that will speak for itself. So I'm a prime example of this in, in two capacities, right? So in my first capacity, I was you know a new grad who had my biology degree and bad grades and no experience in tech, and I wanted to transition into tech. So rather than going back to school or rather than, you know, taking a, a more traditional path or whatever it is, what I did was I just got out there and I started actually working in tech, so to speak. I went out there and I taught myself digital marketing 
using all of these resources that were freely available online. And then I took all that information and I started volunteering my services. I would go to different organizations and I would just say, hey, it looks like you could use a little bit of help in this area. You know, I'll do it for free. I'm looking to build experience. Once I had some case studies, then I went and actually started charging people and I basically freelanced my skills and I got paid to learn. So all that stuff I turned into case studies and I actually had them on a personal site where I would break down all of the results that I gotten from my clients in the past. And that's what I brought with me on my resume and to the interviews that I had with Twitter and Google and Microsoft, et cetera. And that's the experience that they focused on. So I created all of that for myself and that credibility was good enough to a get me interviews with those companies and, and get me in the door. Right. And, and eventually, you know, get me an offer that allowed me to completely change industries and also not only change industries, but get a job at Microsoft, which was pretty awesome. Right. Like right at the, the top of, of that specific industry. So there's an example of what I would say is the new era of credibility. And then I did that again with LinkedIn, right? When I started on LinkedIn, I wanted to teach people how to be more effective in the job search. But when I when I ran a search on LinkedIn for career coach, literally over a million people showed up. And these were people who had decades of experience in HR, who had been career coaches for seven, eight, nine, 10 plus years, all of these things. I didn't have any of that. I didn't. I never worked in HR. I was never a career coach. I was literally just a job seeker who found a system or who created a system that worked for me and then that I had seen work for other people. And so I didn't bill myself as a career coach. I didn't bill myself as, you know, one of these more traditional options. Instead, I just basically started sharing what I had learned. I started creating posts and teaching people the tips and the strategies and the mindsets and the tactics that I had taught myself going through the job search. And it started to resonate, right? People started to to use these things and get results and win jobs. And that built credibility to the point where now, you know, I'm, I'm right up there on these lists with all these other folks who have spent decades in HR as one of the career coaches to follow and, you know, one of the, the best accounts on LinkedIn and all that stuff. And I didn't have the traditional credentials. I didn't have the certifications, the licenses, the experience, all of that. I just had the value and I had the experience of doing it myself and I just began sharing that. So I think this is really important for everybody out there because credibility shouldn't be a blocker for 90 plus percent of the the goals that you have. You know, if you want to start a business, if you want to get a job in a new field, if you want to be recognized for a certain type of work, if you want to be a thought leader, you don't need to go to school for that. You don't need to get a degree. You don't need traditional credentials. You literally just need the experience. You need to actually go out there, do the thing and get results. And then you just have to talk about it. You have to share that on social media. And that's 100% free. Anybody can create a social account. Anybody can create a blog these days for like less than 20 bucks. Anybody can write what they want to write and publish it. Anybody can share that. Like, the barrier to entry here is basically zero. And so that is one of the things I'm most excited about as we move into this new phase of the internet, which is pretty creator centric. And I think we're only going to see more of that. I think we're going to see more tools, more platforms, more options, and an even lower barrier to entry for the individual creator who wants to get started. So there definitely has been a very, very big shift that's been enabled by the internet when it comes to credibility and being able to illustrate your value. So I absolutely love that question, Marlena. Thank you for asking. 
Our next question comes from Anthony, who's asking for people creating a coaching program and getting clients on LinkedIn, would you recommend starting in a one-to-one format or a group format? So I wanted to answer this question because getting started with your own business is a great thing to do, but it can be confusing as to how to go about it. And I do have some thoughts on the best approach here. In addition, there has been a rise of the group format. These cohort-based courses have really started to pick up recently, and there's plenty of platforms that are even facilitating that. So what should you choose to do? Well, my answer here is always going to be one-on-one. And the reason for that is because when you get to work one-on-one with somebody, you get to go really, really deep. And when you're creating a coaching program, when you're starting out, you need as much information on your clients, on your audience as you possibly can get. And that's just a lot harder to get in a group format. The group format is more of you are presenting something and then you get people to go take action on that and they come to you and yes, you know, they share questions and they they need some help and, and all of that. But there isn't really the room for that depth because if you if you did go to the level of depth we're talking about with you know a cohort of 10 people, you're basically increasing your investment of time tenfold in a short period of time, right? So let's say that you know I have one-on-one coaching clients. Uh, I can go through a week and I can have three one-on-one calls and I can go deep with those people and I can still manage my schedule. Whereas if I have 10 people in my cohort-based course, if I needed to do 10 one-on-one calls in a single week, I'm not sure I have time for that, right? Especially if I'm just starting out, especially if I still have a full-time job and all that stuff. So it's just a little harder to go to the level of depth that will actually be really beneficial from the group format. Instead, what I'd recommend that you do is start with one-on-one coaching and leave it open-ended. So anybody who comes to you and says, hey, I'm looking for help on X, just give them an hourly rate and then help them with X. And once you do that enough times, you're going to start to see there are common asks that people have. There is common language that they use. And you can start to build out actual packages around those things. So for me, you know, so many people come to me and they ask for networking help. And so we can build out an entire program just focused on networking and actually charge a little bit more for that because it's more structured, it's more focused, it's more tailored. But I know that because I've done the one-on-one coaching already and through the one-on-one coaching, I actually know exactly how to position that package. So you're going to learn a lot more from one-on-one upfront. And you're also just going to be able to refine and solidify your systems. It's going to take a bunch of coaching clients for you to really understand the right order of steps because you have your own system for yourself, but that system is going to be different for different people, different personalities, different backgrounds, different goals. You're going to start to see the best way to present that where it's going to resonate. And that's just going to be harder to do in the group format. So I would start with one-on-one, then I would move to the group format if you want a little bit more scale. And then I would move into some sort of digital product, be it a course or something similar that basically has limitless scale. And then I would reverse the pricing. So you can get into the course for the cheap you can get into the group coaching group format for you know the middle tier and then there's that one-on-one tier which is that exclusive pricing and if that's the way that you're going about it then you have a lot of options for people to choose from you can basically capture people across a broad range of, of price points and price sensitivity and you're going to have started from the place where you're getting the most information so Anthony I hope that's helpful Right on the back of that question, I have one from Sal here who's asking, what's your advice for those who are planning to transition from full-time employees to a more fractional slash coaching slash entrepreneurship lifestyle? 
So the biggest piece of advice I'd have for anybody looking to do this is to ask yourself whether you really need to quit your job right now or not. And there are plenty of reasons why you should quit your job at a certain point. And that's totally fine, right? If you feel like you're in good shape, if you feel like you're making enough money, if you feel like your job is just so toxic or it's so risky or whatever else, you just can't be there for another day. All of those things are fine. I'm not advocating that you should stay in a job that is really making you unhappy and you know not really aligning with what you're looking for any longer than you have to. But I do think that people tend to jump ship early and that gives you a whole new set of problems. When you're an entrepreneur, when you're starting out, especially when you're starting from scratch, you have to build everything up. You have to build up that credibility we talked about earlier. You have to build up that value that allows you to get those coaching clients. And then you have to coach enough clients to make sure it's sustainable and to understand what your options are and all this good stuff. So if it's possible for you to do that on the side of your job, I know it's not sexy and I know it's you know longer than you probably want to wait. But the more that you can delay jumping ship and the more time that you can invest in building your business and playing the long-term game with your business while having that steady paycheck, the more you're going to mitigate the risk of the entrepreneurial journey. So this is basically what I recommend for pretty much anybody, especially solopreneurs who are starting some sort of business around their personal brand or around content creation or anything like that. Create your content, build your audience, do that discovery for as long as you possibly can while you're at your full-time job. And then you're going to hit a point where there's a bottleneck. You're going to hit a point where you just simply can't manage both anymore. And at that point, you should be in pretty good shape to make that jump. And not only would you be in good shape mentally, but you're going to be in good shape financially because you're going to be starting so much further along down this entrepreneurial journey. You're just increasing your chances of success and you don't have to do everything for an immediate dollar at that point. Again, you can play those longer games. You can already have your systems and your funnels in place and that's going to make the whole thing easier and it's just going to make sure that you are in a much better position to succeed versus starting from complete scratch where the odds are much, much, much lower. Our next question comes from Laura, who's asking, how do you help people through burnout, whether it's in their job search or their day-to-day work? So I really love this question because burnout is something that I've experienced a bunch. And I think a lot of people have experienced quite a bit over the last couple of years, both with with the pandemic, but then coming back from the pandemic and trying to figure out, you know, a, a, a new, new way of living, whether you're fully remote or hybrid or back in the office and the way that work's changed and the fact that we didn't really have social interaction for a couple of years and now we're right back to social interaction and the barriers and boundaries of work have kind of gotten blurred and and are a little different. There are just so many changes now that I think a lot of people are uh, either in the middle of burnout or on the cusp of it. And I just wanted to basically answer this by offering up some permission because we can talk about burnout quite a bit, but I'm not a licensed therapist. And on top of that, Everybody's situation is different. So it's hard to prescribe specific advice for such a broad range of personal situations that people are going through. However, what I have found is a common theme is that people know they need a break, but they won't take one because they feel like they might be judged for it. I think that's the best way to put it. So if you're in the job search and you're feeling burnt out, we tend to not take a break because we believe that taking a break means we're not job searching hard enough and that we are you know, disappointing ourselves. But probably uh, e- even more impactfully, we feel like other people are, might judge us, right? Our friends might say, well, why are you taking the day off? Aren't you job searching? Or uh, d- did you get a job? You know, I, you probably wouldn't be taking a day off unless you did, right? Like 
all these things go through our heads. And in reality, that's not the case. You know, people are, especially our friends and, and family members, they want us to be happy. And if you know that you need the day off, you just need to take the day off. Like that one day is not going to affect your chances of getting a job. It's not going to be the reason that you do or don't get an interview. Uh, outside of the fact that if you don't take that day off, then that burnout continues. And now the quality of your applications are lower. The quality of your networking is lower. You're more tired when you show up for interviews. All these things that do show through, that will negatively impact your ability to get a job. So it's really important to bake in that time to take a step back. But we need to feel good about it. So I don't know if my permission is worth anything, but I am here giving you permission, whether you're in the job search or whether you're in a job itself to just take a step back and take a day off for yourself. You don't have to go on a trip you don't have to have any plans other than to do something that is relaxing and rejuvenating for you. So for me personally, when I've run into burnout in the past, I, I actually created uh, this rule for myself. And so now one day a month, I just take it completely off and I only do stuff for myself that I want to do. So maybe I'll go get a massage or I'll meet a friend for lunch or I'll just go work out and, and listen to you know some podcasts, but I'll do an extra long workout. And that's basically it. I just focus on doing things that are 100% for me. Sometimes I'll watch shows. Like uh, the last time I, I was watching the new uh, Star Wars Andor show, you know, I crushed a couple of those episodes. I was literally just laying on the couch in the middle of the day. It doesn't have to be doing anything specific or productive. It's literally just taking the day off to recharge your batteries, you know, stay off social, stay off your email and just be. And that's probably the most important thing. So if you need that, you have my permission to take it. And if anybody is like, well, aren't you job searching? Like, you know, what, what, why are you spending this time, you know, just chilling out and not actually, you know, sending applications or whatever, tell them that this career coach that, that you listened to uh, told you that it was totally fine and you can blame it on me. So hopefully that helps you out, Laura. I hope you're doing all right. And I'm sending all the good vibes your way. Now, last but not least, uh, Shauna is asking a great question here. You, you guys know I always typically like to end on a fun one. She's asking, what is a strong opinion that you have that most people won't agree with you on? So my strong opinion that I believe down to the depths of my soul that pretty much anybody will not agree with me on, at least in my experience, is that when we're talking about buffalo wings, the flat wing is superior to the drumstick. So you can come at me uh, at this if you want. And I know there's a lot of drumstick people out there. That is the vast majority. But to me, the flat is the superior wing. Just the, the presentation and the experience eating the wing is so much better with the flat than it is with the drumstick. And whenever we go places, uh, if I'm really in the mood for wings, I'll always ask them if they're willing to just bring me a plate of flats and just leave the drumsticks off. And the restaurants that are willing to do that, one are, are gems because they totally don't have to do that for me. But if they do, that tip goes way up and that place immediately jumps right into my top go-to list of restaurants uh, because flats are, are simply better than drumsticks. So Shauna, thank you so much for asking that. And thank you all for, for tuning in. I love these episodes. They're always so much fun. And if you want to ask me a question for November's Ask Austin Anything episode, all you have to do is go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. That's the letter A three times. We also have it linked below in the show notes. But outside of that, thank you as always for listening. Happy Halloween. And I will see you in the next episode of the podcast. 